Welcome to the Wellness Plus Podcast, featuring interviews with health and wellness professionals empowering you to take control of your health and happiness. Feel better, look better, and live better today by subscribing right now for new episodes every week. The Wellness Plus Podcast is brought to you by wellnessplus.tv and made possible by the generous donations of Psyche Truth Patreon supporters. Now here's your host, Certified Holistic Health Coach, Karina Rachel. Hello and welcome to the Wellness Plus Podcast. I'm your host, Karina Rachel, and I'm joined today by Joseph Strickland. He's an applied clinical nutritionist of Better Body Clinical Nutrition. So we're here today to talk about some of the biggest problems and solutions that he comes across in his practice, and I hope that you will get some value out of this conversation, so thank you so much for joining us. Joseph, thank you for being here today. It's my pleasure. It's really great to see you. You've been uh, on the channel a lot over the years, um, so I'm really glad to have you back in the studio today. Uh, you work with a lot of different patients in Better Body Clinical Nutrition, and I wanted to just kind of ask you, what's maybe one of the most common problems that you see or most common things you end up talking to your patients about? Well, <clears throat> lately, it's been cedar because here in Austin, it's cedar season, mm -hmm. and that brings with it a whole host of different issues, uh, fatigue, is a big one, mm -hmm. but also some people have like the, the runny eyes, the, you know, itchy eyes, mm -hmm. and also congestion, lung problems. And then that can go into a whole like bronchitis, pneumonia. It can go that far, right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people come to me because when they try like an over-the-counter solution like Claritin or Zyrtec, different things like that, that tends to add to the fatigue. Mm. So you're already tired from the cedar allergy and then you add these different medications as a solution, which sometimes can help with the, the runny nose and things like that. Right. But then that compounds on that. So that's the, the most common thing lately. Um, and it's a really interesting issue because <clears throat> it typically, from a nutritional perspective, it, it's, a, it's, an, it's a liver issue because mm the pollen that's out there, the body is reacting to like any other toxin. So it's just something that the person's breathing in. And there's the true allergy where they're creating antibodies and view it kind of like the flu. And mm -hmm. then there's some people that are just have a sensitivity. And that's kind of the more regular thing. It's not necessarily even that the person's got congestion. They just feel fatigued and they don't know why. Right. So, um, but that's the most common thing recently. Okay. And then fatigue, is that something that you see a lot of? Fatigue, yes. You know, and that can sometimes be allergy related and that can sometimes be um, from other causes. Um, adrenal fatigue, you know, is, is a situation that some people get into, you know, especially in our current society with, you know, go, go, go type of lifestyle. A lot of times people are, you know, they're doing their regular work day, <clears throat> waking up early to do exercise, mm -hmm. you know, or doing exercise and they're not getting enough sleep. So lack of sleep, um, not having proper time for meals, things like this, you know, can all add to that. Um, and then there can be other nutritional factors as well. You know, sometimes the food that, that people are able to eat in those moments doesn't quite provide the nutrition that the body needs. And mm -hmm. so then that can, that can be another factor as well. But yeah, fatigue is, is I think probably 
almost everybody that comes to see me has that or had that in the past. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it might not be the thing that necessarily brought them in to come see me, um, but it, it's definitely something that they want handled along with, you know, whether it's a blood sugar issue, a weight type of scenario or mm -hmm. various other things. Right. So then I guess the next question would be what uh, is the solution or maybe what are the common solutions that you're able to offer for that? Well, you know, in my practice, um, I, I do something called nutrition response testing, which is it's a tool that I use as a practitioner to kind of find out where to start. A lot of times there's so many different things that can be going on that trying to handle everything all at the same time you know a good example would be let's say somebody's diet is having trouble they're having you know too much sugar they're eating fast food things that are very processed um or the food quality isn't quite as good there can be a lot of reasons for that mm -hmm. um or the water that they're drinking, maybe they're not drinking any water, you know, that's a, that's a big thing, you know, especially with so many different options, you know, there's teas, there's sodas. So sometimes it can be um, a dietary thing. And then sometimes it's lifestyle, you know, um, it's very common these days, especially now with like, you know, these great television shows, there's so much content, you know, um, you know, via like, you know, Netflix and Amazon Prime, now Disney Plus and, you know, all these different things. And it's like, it, I get overwhelmed just thinking mm -hmm. about like all the different options there are, you know, for content. And so, you know, when there's 12 episodes and sometimes you want to, they're very, you know, they, they know how to, to get you hooked. To and, keep you binging the yeah, show exactly. all night long. Absolutely. <laughs> right. And so sometimes that, that binging effect or going to sleep with the TV on mm. is another factor, you know. So a lot of times what I do is a very comprehensive approach. And and I and I work to help people over a period of time. It's definitely not something that gets handled, you know, you're going to see me and then voila, the fatigue has gone. Because yeah. there's usually multiple factors, you know. And so you take one thing at a time, you know, start with having a better breakfast. Once breakfast is a little bit better, then, you know, you can start working on lunch, start handling the sodas, mm -hmm. making sure sleep is happening, um, and then really kind of build up to where a person starts to go, oh, man, I, I start, to, I feel younger, you know, and that right. sort of thing. Right. I think, too, there's this component that by the time somebody comes in to see you, the problem that they're coming to you for has been a long time in the making. So... We live in a very like instant gratification kind of culture. Mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately, when it comes to actually restoring our health and maybe undoing years or decades of things that were contrary to our health, um, you're right. This can be kind of a process, stepwise process to actually restore function in the body and get the body doing the things that it was supposed to be doing um, and then nailing down those factors in the lifestyle or diet or whatever it may be that are, have actually created the problem in the first place. Absolutely. You know, and um, one of the things that, that's really an easy way to understand that is, you know, if, if two people have a, a scratch on their hand, they're they're having to heal at a cellular level. Those skin cells have to actually repair. And it takes some time. You know, it's not like the commercial on TV where somebody's like, 
feeling down and then they take like this little pill and then somehow their life is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 when you're dealing with a cellular issue, um, it does take time for those cells to, you know, regroup change. And, and I think typically it takes a minimum of about three months for tissue repair to happen for most organs. So, you know, a lot of times the liver or the adrenal glands or the heart even could need rejuvenation. And, you know, it's going to take a minimum of about three months for that process to happen. And that, that, that's assuming that the person is actually changing their diet over that three months, mm. getting extra sleep and all things like that. So it could take longer than three months, especially if somebody is in a real challenging situation lifestyle wise. You know, I mean, there, and there are some serious like issues or, or, or things that, that can be hard to work around, like mm-hmm. people that, that work overnight. You know, they're not in the sun during the day. They're sleeping during the day. And so sometimes that particular lifestyle situation can create a whole host of things that you have to kind of work around for fatigue specifically. And so mm-hmm. sometimes it's not as easy um, as just, you know, oh, eat more carrots or eat more beets. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes it's a, it's a little bit more complicated than that for right. sure. So one of the things you mentioned a second ago is one of the uh, steps in the process was um, getting people eating a healthy breakfast. Mm-hmm. Now, over the last couple of years, there's been so much conflicting information about breakfast. And then there's intermittent fasting and all of these kind of uh, newer diet programs that actually tell you to skip breakfast. Mm -hmm. But can you talk about why you actually think that breakfast is maybe an important part of helping get people's health back on track? Right. Uh, You know, breakfast, the the word itself is break fast. So you're breaking the fast of overnight. Mm -hmm. And um, while intermittent fasting you know, has its place for the majority of people that are just starting out on fixing their diet. um, When you challenge or you make the body not have food for a long period of time, it can be very hard on blood sugar. Mm -hmm. And so what can happen is when you skip breakfast, you actually can set up a situation where you're getting like low blood sugar. And that can cause dizziness. It can cause you to be, you know, sweat a bit. Um, and it really can affect your whole hormonal system. And so a lot of times I like to have people start eating breakfast. There are some situations, there are some metabolisms that if you, if they're not used to eating breakfast and then they start, their blood sugar can take a while to kind of like get back to normal. Mm -hmm. Um, but Typically, for the for the majority of people, it's a really good idea to have breakfast. And, and I tend to focus on having some sort of protein or something that doesn't bring the blood sugar up and then down. Mm-hmm. Because when you do that, what tends to happen is you get that afternoon craving. Right. A lot of people think that the afternoon slump comes from what they had at lunch. And sometimes it does. But a lot of times it's what they had for breakfast. Interesting. Yeah. I think, too, you know, we think about the breakfast foods, Mm -hmm. and a lot of times that's like cereal, danishes, bagels, toast, pancakes, um, and those do exactly what you just said. You get this really big blood sugar spike Mm -hmm. because those simple carbs just hit your bloodstream so quickly, and then the body's trying to compensate for all of that by, you know, releasing insulin, trying to bring the blood sugar level back down, and that whole roller coaster in the blood sugar 
uh, metabolism and maintenance and your body's really panicking to try and keep your blood sugar at an ideal level. Um, So unfortunately, so many of those breakfast foods uh, really are not the ideal thing that people should be eating for breakfast. Uh, You talked about protein. Can you maybe give some examples of healthy breakfast things that you eat? Sure. You know, some people do well with eggs. Some people don't. Um, I, I like eggs. I don't have them every morning. Um, but you know, even, even in a plant-based diet, um, people can have a higher, higher protein diet, um, chickpeas, beans, hummus, you know, something even as simple as hummus and carrots, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Would, would be something that, that would be good. Uh, people that do dairy, cheese sticks and an apple, that's a great little, like just grab it and go kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, even here in, here in Austin, Texas, where we're at, uh, a breakfast taco is not the worst idea, um, especially now that they have these really great like almond flour tortillas. And um, there's these there's these alternative tortillas to your typical wheat or flour tortillas mm-hmm. and your corn tortillas that are that are actually very low in carbohydrate. You know, I think the almond flour tortilla only has like eight grams of carbohydrate. Right. You know, and so. And there's different places. Uh, Picnic is a place here locally that that has, you know, eggs and sausage or bacon um, without nitrates in it and, um, you know, on a tortilla. And that that works well for a lot of people. Um, But but again, just because somebody maybe doesn't have, you know, animal products, you know, you can still have a nice, good, high protein meal um, that way. Mm -hmm. So. When we first started the conversation and I we were talking about fatigue and you mentioned the liver, mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit more, I guess, the role of the liver um, in relation to fatigue and maybe any other issues that yeah. you see commonly where actually dealing with the liver and restoring function to the liver is a really important part of resolving that problem? Absolutely. Uh, your liver does so much. Um, and one of the things that's really, you know, key is that there's a there's a sac underneath the gall, um, the liver called the gallbladder and that helps with breaking down fat so the liver not only helps with breaking down fat but it deals with the toxins that that we're exposed to and some people say oh well i'm not exposed to toxins and i go well if you if you ate the bagel uh you got the roundup that was sprayed on that wheat you know mm-hmm. so you know Roundup is is something that's typically in a lot of our foods. Um, And there's a lot of other chemicals that we're just exposed to by breathing air and various things like that. So the liver has to deal with that. Um, So restoring function to the liver makes it so it can handle those different things that are in our diet, in our air, in our water. Mm -hmm. Um, If somebody's not filtering their water, for instance, they're getting lead, they're getting mercury. You know, these are just things that they know there's a certain amount of that in there. Mm -hmm. So... Restoring function helps with that, but also it helps with breaking down fat. And the reason that that's important is because your nerves and your brain and all your hormones are made from fat. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times when people come to me and they're they're upset about low testosterone or their their estrogen levels are off or their progesterone levels are off, various things like that, I almost always say start with the liver because, you know, that is where those compounds and those chemicals are going to be made within the body. Mm. Um, that's the first starting point anyway, right. you know. And so um, fat also, if somebody's wanting to lose weight and their liver is not handling fat correctly, how can they expect 
to break down the fat that's in their body mm. because the fat that's in our body also stores some of those chemicals that the liver has a hard time dealing with. So the liver really is a, a, a really important place, important place to start for somebody that's trying to lose weight because that's a typical sign and that's one of the reasons somebody can have a hard time with losing weight is because their body is having a hard time dealing with those chemicals that the liver would normally handle, mm-hmm. right? So it kind of becomes a what comes first, the chicken or the egg, right? you know, scenario. You know, you want to lose weight, but you've got the chemicals that you have to handle and you need to break down fat, but you can't break down fat because it's got chemicals in there. And anyway, it gets, <laughs> you get into like a round around Robin. Right. And then, so I guess, what are a couple of the steps involved in uh, restoring function to the liver? Well, you know, for liver restoration, um, from a food perspective, um, handling fats is, is is a good one. So first off, you can start by like eliminating the bad fats. You know, a lot of people have said this before, but, you know, the hydrogenated fats. And what that means is basically they take a fat that's a liquid at room temperature and they change it over to a solid so um butter would typically be something that would be a solid at room temperature but if you're making chips and you use butter it's very expensive Mm. so what they do is they take safflower oil soy oil something like this that's liquid and there's a process called hydrogenation where they actually convert that fat over into a solid. So that way it's not as greasy on your fingers. Mm. But the problem is your liver has to deal with that. So a lot of these vegetable oils that don't have the proper ratio of omega-3, 6, and 9, um, that's a good place to start is making sure your body's getting good fats mm-hmm. and kind of eliminating a lot of those like fried in canola oil type stuff. And so that that really is a good place to start. And then the next place to start is, you know, get rid of um, some of the things that affect your blood sugar, because your blood sugar has a lot of effect on your whole hormonal system. And that stresses out the liver as well. Wow. So eating in a way that keeps your blood sugar balanced and then also handling those trans fats and then getting on good fats, which, you know, butter, coconut oil um, and olive oil, if it's not cooked, can be good. And then uh, flax oil is is one of the best um, as far as um, balance of three, six and nine. In fact, there, there are several different protocols out there for um, handling tumors in the body and uh, flax is the only oil that has been proven to actually reduce tumors wow. in the body. It, it, Gerson uh, is the, the doctor that figured that out back in the 1940s, um, and he's got a whole study on it. But basically, um, that flax oil um, is a really good oil um, to, to have, and it's really good for the liver. So mm-hmm. flax oil, butter, and coconut oil, those are, those are some good ones. Um, and then olive oil too, as long as you're having it on a salad and not, you know, cooking with it. Right. We'd like to briefly interrupt this interview to remind you that this podcast was made possible by listeners just like you. Become a supporter at patreon.com slash psyche truth. 
where you can watch the video version of this episode and all our podcast episodes. Plus, you'll gain access to over 500 videos of exclusive content, including premium courses and behind-the-scenes peaks. Help us keep this information free by visiting patreon.com slash psychetruth. That's patreon.com slash p-s-y-c-h-e-t-r-u-t-h. And I think, you know, you mentioned those uh, trans fats, partially hydrogenated fats. Yeah. Um, there's such a kind of sneaky way that those end up in more foods than you would imagine. So you can think about, okay, potato chips, something I know I probably shouldn't be eating. Um, but the unfortunate thing, I'm such an avid label reader. I'm right. like the kind of person who'll spend hours in the grocery store because I just really want to read every label. Totally. And you'll start seeing those partially hydrogenated oils in almost everything and even products that say on the front, zero grams of trans fat. It's so insidious, um, but it really is one of those, um, I don't know, I think very uh, detrimental fats. They actually even... Um, you know, we're comparing like the monounsaturated, unsaturated fats and looking at, you know, which one is the most harmful. And the trans fats just totally took the cake, like right. way more harmful than any of those monounsaturated, unsaturated fats, which um, tend to, uh, I think, just be really confusing for people. They start totally. hearing all these different names thrown around and then it's like, oh, my gosh, well, what am I allowed to eat? Mm -hmm. um, and it can start to feel really overwhelming. So one of the things that I often offer to people um, is just looking to reduce those foods with a really long ingredient list. Totally. If you don't want to be the person like me who stands there and really reads every single thing on the list, you can usually just glance at an ingredient list and pretty quickly tell, like if you've got a bunch of weird chemical sounding names on it, or if it looks like things that are mostly food, mm -hmm. <laughs> actual foods in there. Um, and that's a really good place to start because if you're looking to just eat real foods and prioritize, like you said, even things like olive oil, coconut oil, avocado, things that are not uh, chemically created, man-made weird chemical. Mm -hmm. um, typically, those are going to be far more healthy for you than any of those processed foods. Um, you had mentioned earlier just trying to avoid processed foods. Um, and I think those trans fats are one of those big uh, big problems that once you start to reduce those foods in your diet, you'll find you're not n eating nearly as many of those kind of hidden trans fats um, that the food industry is kind of sneaking in because it's a lot more affordable for them right. um, to use those types of oils. Yeah. Um, honestly, there's a lot of times in my health coaching, people will ask me, well, Karina, why do they even put all this stuff in the food? If it's so bad for us, why do they put it in the food? I'm like, well, we could talk about that uh, it's cheaper for them mm -hmm. to use something that's man-made that they can make in a factory rather than actually having to grow the food itself. Um, and then there's also this component that those food manufacturers um, are competing to take up your stomach share. This is actually like one of their words that they use. Like how much of your stomach can we fill with General Mills or Pillsbury or whatever? Right. So they actually design the foods purposefully to make you eat more of them, to trick your uh, stomach, your brain into not realizing how many calories you've consumed. Um, and then just once again, knowing that uh, if they're putting in you know, a partially hydrogenated oil, which is maybe less likely to satisfy your hunger 
than an actual natural healthy fat, mm-hmm. uh, then once again, that only makes the product more appealing to you. You're going to eat more of the product than you actually need to, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Well, I think the <clears throat> you hit the nail on the head with that. And um, the word that I've heard used is craveability. Mm-hmm. And when you're when you're designing a food product, you're not designing it necessarily for a nutritional purpose. You're you're designing it so that people will buy your particular thing and you mm. want something that stands out from the crowd. And um, there there's two studies that were done, one on Doritos and one on Oreos, where they just looked at how um, addictive these things are. And in those both of those studies, um, without going through them fully, uh, the conclusion was basically that those were more addictive than cocaine, you know. And so, and if you wow. just literally, all you have to do is just Google Doritos rat study, Oreos rat study, and you'll find it. it you know, they were done by universities. And um, the in one of them, the rats actually got to choose between cocaine, carrots, uh, and they had them have Oreos for a while, then they stopped it and they tried to give them the carrots and basically they starved to death. They chose death versus eating carrots. Wow. You know, in that particular case. The ones that ate cocaine, they they went ahead and they ate carrots. It took them like two or three days to go around to eating the carrots, you know, that withdrawal phase. But, mm. you know, so a lot of these foods are designed for craveability and yeah. craveability is just another word for addiction, right? So those, a lot of these things are very addictive. Um, I mean, as evidence of that, look up the Popeye's uh, sandwich recently. I mean, people are fighting over this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and that that's because that, that sandwich... Um, has something in there, probably the trans fats like we're talking about. I haven't I haven't studied that. I don't know exactly, but but when you've got people willing to like, you know, drop kick another person, you know, <laughs> for this food, I mean that's not a, you know, it's not like the people that were fighting were like from Ethiopia or, you know, some country where they're like, you know, their ribs are showing. Right. I mean, these are people that have some meat on their bones and they're fighting for this sandwich because it has something in there that their body like has to have. Right. And I think too, you know, you can point to there's like probably um, a lot of different components in the food that kind of make it addictive. Um, Monosodium glutamate, something that has gotten a lot of attention for its kind of known addictive qualities. Um, The trans fats we talked about, the uh, simple carbohydrates, that enriched white flour that gives us the big blood sugar spike. Mm-hmm. It also kind of triggers that reward response in the brain. Oh, yeah. Um, so I guess my next question is, how can people get away from those foods? Well, it starts with um, baby steps, you know, and it really is what what I do is like, you know, if somebody's coming in and let's say they're having and I've seen this before. Let's say they're having, you know, um, 20 sodas a week. You go through, you find out, okay, they have it at breakfast, they have it at lunch, and you count it and they have basically 20 sodas a week. Well, some nutritionists would say, well, just don't have any soda. But I've found that people do not do well on cold turkey. You know, if you've ever had the experience where you know, somebody's a smoker and you said, you know what, it's going to be really good for you to just stop smoking. So just don't do it anymore because it's good for you. Right. Mm -hmm. And then they'll go, yeah, yeah, sure. Tomorrow I won't do it. Right. So then the next day they try and then, you know, about lunchtime, they 
they, they've had. And they maybe even smoked a little bit more than, than what they did if they hadn't tried to stop, right? Mm-hmm. So what I do is I say, okay, we got 20. Let's go ahead and, and cut it back to, to 19 this week, you know. And then um, also there's this other drink that I like. It, it's not sweetened with sugar. It's sweetened with stevia or, you know, monk fruit or, you know, there's a whole host of different alternatives that, that are not quite as bad. Ultimately, I like to have somebody not even doing that, mm-hmm. you know, but that's like, you know, there's different levels, essentially, if you will. And so the first thing is, you know, start cutting back and start finding some substitutes that people can use. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, once you're at 19, hey, pat yourself on the back. You, you had one less Coke, right? And usually people can do that pretty easily. And so then we might get it down. Like, let's say we get it down to like 10 Cokes a week. Wait, we've done a a huge, imagine how much less the body's having to work to process 10 Cokes than it was having to process 20. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, it's a huge difference. And so then once you get that down, the person may not really want to work. You know, I really like, if I don't have my Cokes at lunch, I just, I really don't, I'm tired in the afternoon. Okay, fine. But what I'm doing is I'm working on helping to fix some of that underlying reasons why they need that in the first place. Mm. And so that's where a nutritionist, I think, comes in really handy because we're trained in understanding some of the reasons why these foods are craveable in the first place. And then bringing in, um, and I, I use supplements in my practice in order to kind of handle some of these underlying nutritional deficiencies that are created in this in this scenario. And then eventually you're able to get that down. But I might focus first on Cokes and then I go, okay, look, you know, these hostess, you know, cakes that you're having at dinner or this, you know, I just have that Hershey's ch- chocolate or, or whatever it is in that afternoon mm-hmm. spot. You know, uh, we work and, and, and kind of work together as a team to kind of slowly tackle this thing. And then over a period of time, eventually things kind of shift. And then somebody actually, I mean, it doesn't seem like you would right at the beginning, but eventually you start to actually crave the foods that your body needs. You know, yeah. once you once you start bringing those in, it's like, OK, you're craving um, sugar. A lot of times people are craving sugar because of a potassium deficiency. So you start getting um, avocados in their diet. You start to get some bananas in their diet and they start to get their potassium levels up because they're eating foods that have high potassium in them. And then their sugar craving goes down, man, you know, I just don't really need that Coke. And then it's easier to have less Coca-Cola, PepsiCo, whatever. Right. And, uh, then that you, you slowly, so we're both adding in as well as taking away. And once you know, kind of what some of these deficiencies create, you know, especially because in order for it to be craveable, it pretty much has to be something that is substituting something that you need. Mm-hmm. And your body just gets a little bit confused on that. Right. Can you talk about maybe some other examples of like common cravings that people have and then what the actual uh, deficiency is that can help resolve that craving? Absolutely. You know, um, sugar a lot of times is potassium. Um, also salt can be potassium because salt and potassium go in balance. Um, and so like, let's say somebody's like, you know, it's not so much the sweets, but it's more the, the potato chips. Well, potato chips are interesting because potatoes are high in potassium, but then they overload them with salt, but they're using table salt, not sea salt typically. And so that creates its own confusion because the person may just be lacking both salt and potassium, Mm. you know, in that scenario. And so, Having them have avocados, um, having them have uh, bananas, 
as long as their blood sugar is decent. Bananas can be a little bit problematic from a fruit perspective because then, you know, that's higher in sugar. But mm -hmm. but I'll, what I'll typically do is I say, look, instead of having a whole banana, just freeze it, use half. That way you can thicken up your shake or or you can use avocado in its place. And that right. actually works pretty well. But um, but that's th those are common there. And then other deficiencies, um, a lot of times people have a magnesium deficiency, especially if they're, you know, they notice they're like eye twitching mm. or they're, they're noticing that that their muscles are cramping um, or, you know, there's something called restless leg syndrome these days, which is like that, you know, in quotes, it's like, a <laughs> it's like a disease, you know, but really, I mean, it's, it's a magnesium deficiency it essentially is what that is most of the time. Um, there are some situations where somebody actually has an inability to handle electrolytes and they actually have like a, a kidney problem mm. and in that scenario okay i'll believe the diagnosis but but it's not you know because of a deficiency of the drug that they recommend for that i don't even know what drug it is but you know it is something's not making it so that the body can take magnesium in or they have a calcium mag magnesium kind of imbalance there mm -hmm. and so magnesium is another thing that will cause cravings for specifically like sodas um, phosphoric acid that's in the the soda is very acidic and so if somebody's been having cokes for a long time there it causes it can actually cause kidney stones which is a buildup of calcium in certain areas of the body but that happens because of that magnesium deficiency so um anyway but that's those are some examples of of different things but usually mineral it's minerals and our our bodies tend to get depleted in minerals because the way that the soil that we grow our food in has changed. You know, mm -hmm. before 1950, they did something called crop rotation. And so there's 77 minerals in the soil. And, you know, one season you'd grow oranges, another season you'd grow bananas. You, you, you just change it out because out of those 77 minerals, different fruits or vegetables use different amounts of those minerals. Mm -hmm. And so then in order to make it so that the, the soil didn't get depleted, they would do this crop rotation. Well, after 1950, after World War II, um, the, they started to do what's called fertilization. And so with fertilization, they just basically put three minerals in there, phosphorus, nitrogen, potassium. They leave out the other 74, and they just keep doing that. The only problem with that, well, there's two problems. One, the vegetables and fruits become deficient in those other minerals. Mm -hmm. Their immune system gets lowered, and then bugs start to eat it. And so then you end up with um, having to use chemicals and pesticides, which is what we're dealing with now. But now we get the chemicals and pesticides with this lower nutrition value. UT did a study back in 2007 where you they looked at the nutrient content of an orange in 1950 compared to an orange in 2007, and you needed 50 oranges in 2007 mm -hmm. to equal one from 1950. So oh, wow. that that's a, an example. You can just look up University of Texas orange study, you know, and you'll find it. But that's just an example of how minerally deficient our food is. And so then that translates into us. Mm -hmm. And then they utilize that from a from a craveability standpoint because they know we, we're needing these minerals. And then if you just provide the the opposite or something different than than the mineral that you need, but it but it's an opposite, you know, you can keep eating salt and not get enough potassium, you'll actually keep craving salt. 
You'll keep wanting more and more and more and more. Right. But then when you bring the potassium in, oh, you suddenly don't want as much salt because it's balanced, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think too about, um, that's really interesting. I knew um, about soil depletion, but the idea that it's like 50 oranges to equal the nutrition of one, I mean, that is actually like more significant than I even realized the problem was. Yeah. Um, so do you recommend something like a multiple daily vitamin or something like that for people to kind of fill in the gaps of nutrition that they may be missing? That's an interesting subject. You know, supplementation is a is a is a really, you know, there's a lot of controversy all the way around. And, and a lot of that controversy comes, I think, from the, um, you know, pharmaceutical industry itself. Um, because if you look at a lot of supplements that are on the market, they're actually not very good. Um, there mm -hmm. are studies you can find where if somebody has large amounts of vitamin E, they can actually can increase the chances for cancer. Well, the reason for that is because that is what they call vitamin E, which is just the tocopherol. It's one aspect of the vitamin E complex. There's actually a lot of different things that combine together to create the whole food form of vitamin E as it would be found in nuts and seeds, essentially. Right. Um, so what happens is when you take just a fractured part of something, then that those other parts have to be taken from your body in order to utilize it. Mm. So nutraceuticals, which is, which is a, something you'd get at like a Whole Foods Market or a health food store, I find that those act more like drugs, you know, vitamin C, which is its name is ascorbic acid. That is essentially like having the eggshell of an egg, right? <laughs> and so <clears throat> the guy that figured out that vitamin C is what caused um, scurvy, he actually, after he won the Nobel Prize, he came back and he said, oh, wait, I was wrong. It's not ascorbic acid. It's the whole food form of vitamin C. Yeah. They disregarded his information on that. You know, you won the Nobel Prize, just, just go away. Um, <laughs> but, but basically, so when, when I'm talking about supplements, I'm talking about a whole food supplement. Mm -hmm. So basically like taking a beet and creating a supplement from that beet that has all that in there. You're just basically right. getting rid of the fiber and the water. Um, there's, there's several companies that do this and, and there are... Um, it's a it's a growing field. Juice Plus is something that does that. They grow things hydroponically, so it's not my first choice uh, because they're not getting it from soil. Um, Standard Process is a is a product that I really like. Some people don't like the animal products in there, um, and that's fine. But um, they have a farm in Palmyra, Wisconsin, where they grow the food the thing the way things were grown before 1950. Wow. So they're th that's an amazing company. Mega Food is another brand which Mega Food actually exists in like Whole Foods and different um, health food stores, and they're 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 really good as well. Um, they're they're not exactly just a Whole Food put into a tablet. They they have the synthetic forms of some of these things and then they put food with it but it's at least a better you know fit mm -hmm. you know and um but i generally recommend you know working with somebody that has a way whether it, i mean i personally use muscle testing and, and i i like that because that helps me help patients but there are other ways of actually looking you know somebody could do a genetic test and see mm. what nutrients they're you know, prone to need. A, a good example of that is there's a, a gene marker called MTHFR 
which is specific to the liver. And, and that's just an indication that the person can't process B vitamins very well. So they might not be getting it from their food or various things like that. So that's one marker. But, but basically working with somebody, whether it's genetic testing, muscle testing, um, some sort of like antioxidant test, um, or even blood tests, you know, that can tell you whether you've got enough B12, you know. The podcast you are listening to was brought to you by wellnessplus.tv, a subscription service empowering you with everything you need to take control of your health and happiness. Sign up for your free trial today to watch the video version of this episode and all our podcast episodes. Plus, you'll gain access to our extensive library, including hundreds of follow-along yoga and fitness courses, massage therapy tutorials, weight loss information, guided meditations, educational health videos, and so much more. Feel better, look better, and live better today by visiting wellnessplus.tv. So finding a practitioner that, that, that somebody trusts and that, that has results with other people so that they can guide you kind of in what, you know, is the best thing for you specifically. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think, too, there's a lot, uh, there's just so many products out there now um, that it's really easy for people to, unfortunately, maybe be even like wasting their money mm. on either things they don't need or things that don't actually contain the things that they need. Like you had talked about the synthetic vitamins right. where you're just getting little chemically created parts of things. Oh, this is the same molecule that you get <laughs> out of the inside of an apple. So we just recreate that molecule. Right. Um, but then you're right. The body can't use it the same way as it does when you just eat the apple or the banana or whatever it might be. Um, so yeah, not only to have a plan and an approach that's really customized to right. your body and what you're deficient in and what you need, um, but also just stopping you from wasting your money on things that you don't need or that just aren't effective enough to, uh, you know, actually resolve the problem that you're taking it for. Totally. Um, you had also mentioned earlier, uh, you know, we've talked about a lot of things here, you know, allergies, adrenal fatigue, this uh, kind of problem of um, a congested liver. Mm -hmm. I've heard people talk about it before, like a clogged up air filter. Yeah. And at a certain point, if the air filter is just completely clogged, nothing goes in, nothing goes out. You just kind of have this like stagnation problem going on. Um, and I actually use that analogy a lot in my videos, my health coaching, um, getting people to kind of visualize what it's like when you come across a really stagnant pool of water mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's pretty smelly, you can't see through it and kind of comparing that to, well, what if you walked past a little flowing stream and mm -hmm. the water is clear and it's kind of peaceful and there's no disgusting odor or whatever. Um, and I think that analogy can kind of create what's happening for a lot of people, whether it's that the liver is congested and there's a stagnation from that or actual like physical stagnation. They're just not active enough. Um, <clears throat> stagnation of the lymphatic system, which is this whole other important um, kind of transportation system of the body. There's kind of all of these different areas where... Um, your health can kind of hit that roadblock mm. or hit that clogged up air filter, so to speak. Um, so I guess my next question for you would be, what are some other, uh, I guess, common roadblocks or common things that you find yourself having to address in your practice? 
Well, you know, diet, I think, is number one in that that sugar is one aspect of that, but also, you know, food quality. Um, and I think another really common thing is um, just getting people to give a focus to themselves. You know, it's so easy for us to um, lose the sight, lose sight of the fact that that in order to have health, you have to maintain it. And, you know, it's very easy to kind of think, oh, you know, and guys, you know, are especially bad at this, where let's say they have a pain in their shoulder, they go, oh, you know what, it's just going to go away, you know, but really paying attention to our body and um, doing the things that that are needed in order to keep it well maintained. Good example is um, on a car with tires. You know, let's say that the alignment's slightly off <clears throat> and those tires are wearing incorrectly. Well, you can keep replacing the tires, right? Or you can get the alignment right and then tires won't be as big of a problem and then the car runs better, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, gas mileage is better. That has an effect on the efficiency of the engine, things like that. So nutrition really is a field where, you know, if you put junk in, then you get junk out. And the old saying, you know, you are what you eat is very true. And and so really taking the time to, you know, notice what you're putting in. So that way, you know, you don't end up in a situation where you haven't taken care of yourself and then you regret where you end up. Right. And that's really the the main, you know, thing that 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 I'm about is really putting a focus on it is you are important and you are worth the time that it takes to to live better because, you know, if you if you feel better, you have less fatigue, your body's working better, you're going to interact with people better. And, you know, life just in general gets better. Relationships are better. You know, it really has a, a, a large impact on how your quality of life is. And mm -hmm. we've all seen videos of people in their 80s that that can walk around the block and, and are still active. And that's really the 80 type of 80 year old that I want to be, you know, <laughs> um, versus an 80 year old that that that's in a nursing home, you know, with dementia. And, and so, you know, there are a lot of preventable things. I'm not saying that dementia is completely preventable, but I am saying that that definitely if you do the things you have a higher likelihood of ended up ending up in that scenario versus the other. Right. And I think the car analogy is not only wonderful because it's something that we all have reality on, oh, right? Yeah. You're not getting your oil changed. You're not getting your alignment looked at all these different things. You know it's going to cause problems down the road. And this is exactly what happens in our bodies as well. Yeah. Um, but because we can't see it or necessarily go to a mechanic who, you know, hooks you up to a diagnostic <laughs> machine and says, oh, it's your catalytic converter. It's your this or that. Right. Um, it can feel really overwhelming. It can feel confusing. Um, but I love this idea of just empowering people to know that the things you do now really do contribute to your quality of life, not only now helping you feel better in the moment, but also in the future. And all of those things really are extremely worthwhile. Um, and I typically come back to this little like proof is in the pudding thing. Like once you start doing the things, you're going to feel so much better 
that it's going to start getting easier and easier and easier to do the things. Exactly. And the way that you feel becomes the motivation to, you know, knock it down to only 15 sodas a week or knock it down to 12 sodas a week or whatever that little piece might be for them. Um, kind of bringing it back full circle, we had kind of come in um, talking about allergies mm -hmm. as this like really common problem. I know it's common in Austin, but it's it's not just here. Um, and you kind of talked about the liver. Can you maybe branch out on that? Like what would be the next steps for people or maybe some actionable things people could do right now if they're suffering from allergies, for instance? Well, it might sound crazy, but um, what I find is really sugar um, and things that create inflammation in the body um, really have a large impact on how much of a reaction someone has. Um, if somebody's allergic to cedar, they, they may have a reaction to it. But to the point where you have chills and your eyes are watering and you can't function, you can, you can actually just work on diet and get rid of a lot of inflammatory type of foods, which would be your you know, heavily processed wheat products, things like that, crackers, rice cakes, you know, a lot of these different things, and also your sodas. Now, again, what I talked about earlier, you can't go from 20 to zero uh, because then typically the allergies are worse. So there's a balance and, and it's really just taking a step. You know what? I had Twix yesterday at lunch. I'm going to have instead of two Twix, I'm going to have one. I'll save the other one for tomorrow, you know, kind of like that. And really just kind of working to just start cleaning up the diet. Now, for those that their diet's already cleaned up, um, there are specific things that can be done with the liver. Um, beets are a good food to add in because that helps to um, um, think of it kind of like soap. You know, if you have a plate that has grease on it and you just pour water on it, the grease stays there. Well, beets is kind of like that that soap that you put on there that, that gets rid of the, the, the grease on the plate. Um, so beets are something that can make it so your liver can process things easier. Mm -hmm. And so then the allergens won't have much of, as much of an effect on you. So whether that's um, beet juice or um, that's just shredded beets on a salad, those are a couple of things that you can add in there. Um, and then also um, not having or foods that, that don't create a large um, need for stomach acid. So typically when allergies are happening, I'll have people dial back having, you know, meat's fine, but don't have half a pound of meat, you know, <laughs> in one sitting, you know, maybe have two ounces instead of, instead of four, you know, something like that. But, but taking that stomach acid um, need down a bit, maybe eating just a little bit less portions, sizes down a little bit. Those are things that help the digestive system not have to work as hard. And so then they can deal with the allergen and the lungs and, and getting all that stuff out. Because what mm -hmm. you breathe in, your lungs have to have it go out the bowel. And so that's why those allergies can tend to stay. The longer they stay in, the more of a reaction you'll have if you have a true allergy. Wow. Um, so those are just some things that can be done, you know, without seeing anybody um, that that tend to be helpful right. for that. So just out of curiosity, uh, can you talk a little bit about what brought you to nutrition in the first place? Absolutely. You know, um, 
nutrition, you look at me, I, I don't look like a nutritionist. You know, I, I did not, it's not like I, I was born and was like, oh, nutrition, that's what I'm going to do. Um, I, I came into it out of necessity because when I was 22, I started to have staph infections. And, you know, when I was 22, um, this was very rare. It was not something that most 22-year-olds got. It's something that you got when you were in your 80s or 90s after you had hip replacement surgery. And, you know, I did the regular medical thing. You know, I, I went and got um, antibiotics and cleared up. And then I went back, came back, and then I got him. After about the fourth round of antibiotics, I asked the medical doctor. I said, you know, I, I'm 22. Why am I getting these staph infections? And he mm -hmm. said, son, no one knows. You just take the antibiotics and hope you get better. And so that really wasn't a, a, an answer that, that, that answered my question. Mm -hmm. So then I looked at that and I, right around that time, Morgan Spurlock came out with his documentary, Supersize Me. And, you know, my father was 495 pounds, you know, and so we grew up eating mostly McDonald's and, and crap food. And so I saw that documentary and I was like, wow, you know, it's amazing how much of an effect that food had on that man. You know, I mean, he got depressed. He had his cholesterol go up. The doctor was basically saying that if he had been an alcoholic, he would have put him in like inpatient care or, you know, been committed or something. And I was like, oh my gosh. So, wow. you know, that, that documentary kind of pointed me in that direction. And um, I went and saw somebody that does something similar to what I do now and um, found out that um, there were some foods that I was sensitive to. Uh, for me personally, it was uh, chocolate and uh, tomatoes. And uh, so I just pulled those out of my diet and immediately I stopped getting boils. And I was like, whoa, like four rounds of antibiotics Two foods I take out of my diet. I, at the time, I was eating a lot of pizza. And so the marinara sauce mm -hmm. on the pizza was a problem for me, right? And so um, anyway, so that's kind of what got me into nutrition. And then in learning it for myself, there was a lot of um, information starting to come out about gluten sensitivities mm -hmm. and people that, that had problems processing the particular protein from wheat. And um, so that kind of made other people start to ask me questions. And then the next thing I know, I'm helping people with nutrition. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's really how I got into it. Yeah. I think, too, there's oftentimes kind of that personal struggle that brings us into it. Because mm -hmm. in the mainstream, of course, now I will say the mainstream has become much more um, vocal about this. That's not so much of a, um, you know, kind of hidden truth. Right. Um, but for so many of us, um, and for, man, you know, you could say the last 60, 70 years, that information was just kind of, uh, you know, the select few, so to speak. And I remember when I was a kid and there would be like the health nut families <laughs> and you just thought they were like crazy or something like, oh man, that poor kid that can't eat McDonald's. Well, then once you kind of come onto the other side of it and you're kind of able to see with, with the new glasses on, so to speak, um, you really can see that changing your diet and even giving up, quote unquote, foods that you love, foods mm -hmm. that you couldn't live without, usually it ends up being actually much 
easier to give those foods up if that means that you don't have to live with these horrible problems anymore and keep, like you said, going back through the antibiotics or the drugs or the um, steroids really, really common now mm. prescribed for almost everything. Right. Um, and typically, not only do those things not actually resolve the problem and prevent the person from having that problem anymore, but then it's got its own whole slew of issues that it brings about. Um, so I love that our culture is starting to become more open to this information. And even the mainstream is starting to be like, okay, we have to report on this. We, uh, we have to tell them, right? <laughs> um, so I think that it is kind of a sign of the times, you could say, that things are starting to transition over more. Um, and just making this information more available to people. So it's not like, wait, you did what? You stopped eating flour, you know? Right. Um, it's becoming more accepted. And then as people start to experience how much better they feel when they start making these little changes, um, then proof in the pudding again, uh, that becomes the impetus for them to share it with more people, tell more people about this. You know, how could you not want to help somebody else live better and feel better um, if you know, you know that there's something really pretty simple that they could do to have those things and be feeling better. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, I remember back when I first started my practice in 2008 um, and, you know, even doing some of the first videos that we did um, with Psyche Truth, um, there's still my video up there from when I talked about wheat. And um, what was interesting is I did that video before the book Wheat Belly came out. Mm. And in there, I talk about, you know, Dr. Harvey Wiley and this fight that happened about 1908 where, you know, he got cocaine out of Coca-Cola. And then the next thing he sued the Pillsbury Company. And then, you know, so I did the whole video on that. And, you know, it was about four years later that Wheat Belly comes out. And then it's like, oh, gosh, mainstream, everybody's doing gluten free. Mm -hmm. And so it was really it was kind of interesting to be almost a pioneer to some degree um, in that in that world. And, and now it's, you know, you see EpiPens in schools and, you know, you, there there's this there's an awareness of sensitivities and allergies that just mm -hmm. wasn't there before. And part of that is because there's more of it. And I, I think that a lot of that is driven by the fact that, you know, we kind of looked at those people as health nuts, you know, and and in when Whole Foods market kind of started in the, in the late 70s, early 80s, um, it was like, oh, that's a cult. You know, that's like that, just like <laughs> you're talking about. And, you know, it has become mainstream because it has been out of necessity, you know, mm -hmm. um, when there's a study called the Pottinger cat study. And what Dr. Pottinger figured out back in the, I think it was the thirties, um, is that basically his question was, do, does genetics determine a person's health or does nutrition? And what he did is he did this study where he had a group of cats that ate their native diet, which was, raw rat. And then he had a group that ate, you know, some sort of like pedigree or some, you know, cat food. And what he did is he looked at them generationally. And the ones that ate the raw rat, they maintained not having diabetes, not having cancers, things like that. The group that was eating this pedigree, basically the first generation started to have some joint problems. They started to have some birth defects. Then the cats 
from that generation, the next generation started to have blood sugar issues. Mm. They started to have um, diabetes. Then the next one was um, infertile and they had, you know, problems with cancer and things like that. So he then, what he did is he took some of the cats that were in the second generation. They, they had these, you know, diabetes, birth defects, you know, starting to have some infertility. And he started feeding them raw rat. And what he found in the study was that basically that second generation, after three generations, were just as healthy as these cats that stayed on their original diet. So what he did with the Pottinger cat study is he actually showed that nutrition actually affects genetics. Mm. And so, you know, we hear this, oh, it's a genetic problem. Well, how come we didn't have the genetic problems 100 years ago? Mm-hmm. And that's because our diet, specifically 1950, is kind of one of the big things. But but you can also look at 1908 where, you know, cocaine was in Coca-Cola. They were trying, you know, they were starting to put white flour in a lot of different things. There was a, there was a fight that happened there with Dr. Harvey Wiley, and unfortunately it was lost. And it wasn't until you know, 1980, when Whole Foods Market kind of started, that that fight got taken back to the people. Mm-hmm. And now we're demanding it. And Food Babe that's online, she, you know, I, we were doing videos before her, but but now she's out there getting yoga mat chemicals out of Subway sandwiches. And I mean, it's amazing what's happening. There's a lot of, there's a lot of attention that's being brought to this arena. And it's really kind of neat to see so many changes, you know, and I, 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 you know, it definitely is from, you know, videos like, like you, Food Babe, who's out there, you know, nutritionists, and also people just demanding better health. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's just a really cool thing to see. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. And I definitely want to have you back on the program. There's so many uh, little rabbit holes we could go down in so many different topics. So I'm really looking forward to having you back. Um, Can't wait. And thank you so much for joining us today. I really hope that you found this podcast valuable. And if you did, consider visiting us at wellnessplus.tv, where you can see all of our different Wellness Plus podcasts, as well as hundreds of other videos to help you take control of your health and happiness. You can also learn more about Joseph Strickland by visiting nutritionaustin.com. I want to thank you so much for being here today, and I hope you'll come back and join us again soon. The Wellness Plus Podcast, copyright 2018, Target Public Media, LLC, all rights reserved.